And I just remember sitting in the hospital. We were there for probably three weeks at that point. And all of a sudden, the thought came, okay, I, I'm making good money. I want to focus on my son right now. But if I don't go back to work, the money is stopping right now. And these medical expenses are piling up fast. And I remember saying to myself, like, how crummy is that, that I'm worried about money instead of 100% focusing on my son? And I, at that point, I was like, I'm going to find a way to make money without trading my time come hell or high water when I get out of here. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. Our guest today has built a portfolio of short-term rentals generating over $100,000 a year in cash flow. He's also educating people on how to do it themselves over at strsecrets.com. Michael Shogren, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So I've read a little bit about your story, and I know that you sat down at one point and you wrote down a five-year vision plan for where you wanted to be. And one of those included a, a chalet up on a mountain. Can you quickly tell us that story? Yeah, absolutely. So this was probably four years ago, roughly. And uh, I was in a mastermind group. And one thing that they ask us to do when we join is to write out our five-year vision in vivid detail. And I had never really done that exercise before. And I had blown it off for a few months. And then finally, I sat down and asked myself, okay, what what does my ideal life look like five years from now? And the first line that I just started writing out was, my wife and I are sitting out on the deck of our mountainside chalet playing with our son. And that was the first line. And then I went through and I had a, a bunch of other stuff. And uh, fast forward 18 months later, we purchased that chalet at the top of a mountain up in the White Mountains. And quite frankly, I hadn't put too much time into actually putting the pieces together. The universe, whatever you believe in, just kind of pulled it together through this unique real estate strategy. And uh, since that day, we've just been full steam with short-term rentals. So gotcha. it's been a fun journey. So let's. Di- I want to dig into that, that first deal a little bit more because I think that's so important. So many people struggle with getting past that first deal. How did you, how did you find it? Sure. I found it just on Zillow, literally just on Zillow. So it was, it was rental ready. It wasn't a, a rehab. You didn't have to do a lot of rehab on it. Oh, it was disgusting. I definitely, I renovated the entire property. I looked at it on Zillow and the views, there's 180 degree views of mountains, like right out the window. And so I just saw massive potential in the property. I mean, it had green carpets, plaid couches, like it was, it was nasty. Like 1980 style, everything in the place. It had never been renovated and it had just flooded actually. So it definitely, it definitely needed some work. We put all new flooring in, had it painted, had the trim painted, all new furniture, all new bathrooms, you know, soup to nuts, painted the cabinets just to, to keep it a little more 
on the cheap, I guess, as opposed to <laughs> replacing all the cabinets, but put some new hardware on it and it looked great. And um, yeah, it definitely needed some work though. <laughs> yeah. Can we dig into some of the numbers, like what, what you yeah. were able to acquire for and what, what it cost you to, to rehab it? Yeah, absolutely. So we purchased the property for 177000 put about 25000 into it to renovate it and furnish it. It's a two bed, two bath, 1200 square foot condo style chalet. And yeah, I would say now that we've gotten our numbers tighter and we've done a bunch of properties, for a two bed, you're looking at roughly 10,000 to furnish it. So about 15,000 of that went into the renovation and then the rest was in furnishings. So it typically takes you about 5,000 a room to furnish a short-term rental property now? I would say a two bedroom is 10 grand. I would say a one bedroom is probably closer to between seven and eight. Gotcha. So because you get some if you add an extra bedroom, you're, yeah, exactly. You're adding yeah. basically a bed and some decor in that other bedroom, but that's pretty gotcha. much. You're spending a lot more on like the kitchen and, or well, we're talking all about the, furnishing. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, but you still need all the plates, silverware, towels, oh, yeah. linens, you know, all, yeah. all that fun stuff that goes into it. So, yeah. 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 How hard was it to figure out sort of what you needed? I mean, we have our short term rental, but it's basically a room and a bathroom. So, it has like a microwave and a small refrigerator and a coffee bar. There's, and there's not much else as far as like normal bedroom bathroom needs. Like how did you guys decide how much to put in a kitchen? Cause I've seen, you know, we've gone to a few different Airbnbs and some of them are really stocked. And then others are kind of like, you Very couldn't, nice. you, yeah, you couldn't yeah. k- cook in the kitchen even if you wanted to, which sort of sucks. Cause I yeah. think that's kind of what a lot of people want out of a rental, a short term rental that has a kitchen at least in my world, but I follow a lot of food bloggers. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So first things first, I always recommend folks, whatever strategy you're going to go with, whether it's short-term rentals, multifamily, whatever, real estate stocks, you name it, get educated first. So I just found some people through my mastermind group that were already doing this. And I was like, let me, let me learn from them and see how their operation was going. Right. So I got a little bit of a baseline and then we figured out, all right, well, who do we actually want to serve? right? Like who's our ideal target market for this property? And in this case, it was families like us, right? We're in between four major ski resorts. And then in the summer, we're right behind a place called Storyland, which is like the Disney world of New Hampshire. So it's perfect for, you know, young, young families or couples going away for a weekend. So we were like, okay, well, what would we want in here? And that's evolved over time, right? So initially we had the basic pots and pans, you know, my wife's an interior designer, so she handled all that. But then over time, right, it was like, oh, it'd be nice if we had a blender to make smoothies in the morning, right? So then we had a blender in that property. And, you know, oh, it'd be nice if we had like a toaster that worked. It was whatever. We tried to keep the one that was there, you know? So you kind of add stuff over time. Soap, shampoos, lotions, makeup remover wipes, because people, the ladies love to destroy my white towels. So we got makeup <laughs> remover wipes. So all these little things that you kind of learn along the way. But you can, I always like to think of it as there's three different levels, right? You can be the Walmart, the target of the Nordstrom of your market. And we like to play in that, that target space. Like we like to be that upper, upper target. So, you know, we don't have quartz countertops or anything like that, but we do have a nice new flooring, comfortable, everything's brand new. Like nothing in there is secondhand and everything ties in. Yeah. Usually you look at that Walmart property that half the kitchen doesn't function you know, it looks like it was furnished out of a yard sale. It's just, you know, it doesn't yeah. really tie together. Yeah. So you're attracting you wanna, a certain demographic. Yeah. yeah. You want you want the moms where Target is our sanctuary. <laughs> yes. Target is deadly. 
Oh God. <laughs> the four-year-old wants to go to Target every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's gotten a taste of the <laughs> the buying. Like he's worse than than I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I'm the numbers guy, so I want to dig in a little bit more on that. So you were all in for a little over two hundred thousand, correct? Yes. On that property. Did you buy it cash or did you put a loan on it? No, we put a loan on it. So I took a loan out of my 401k. Mm-hmm. So I'll backtrack real quick, right? So I, like many folks, I heard the traditional advice, right? Go to school, get good grades, get a good job, put 10% in a 401k and you're going to be fine when you're 65 or whatever, right? So yeah. I went to school, got good grades. I became an accountant and a CPA and all that and worked and made made a decent salary. And I kept putting money in a 401k and it wasn't really doing much and it was just sitting there. And then I started learning about the power of real estate. Like I'm sure a lot of these folks are learning from you guys and reading books and everything else. And I was like, all right, I want to get in the game, but I didn't have a lot of liquid cash, but I had a decent chunk in my 401k. So I took a loan out for 40,000 from that. And then I put the renovation on a credit card and that was pretty much it. So I was all in my cash, all in cash on cash was about 65,000 in cash between the 401k and then the credit cards. And uh, the rest, we took out a loan for about 140000 to get that property. Did you guys, on like the credit cards, did you do like zero interest for a while and then try oh, yeah. and pay those back right away? Yeah. So we did, um, I think it was almost two years, 18 months or 24 months, no interest. And I was confident that we'd be able to, to pay that down pretty quickly. Yeah. So Side note, did you do that with travel money or <laughs> travel points? <laughs> did you get points? So- <laughs> I did not. And uh, a friend of mine is big into travel hacking. So recently I've been learning a lot from him because I have family that live all over the place and I want to see them more often. And he was giving me some strategies to maximize that out. So, Yeah. Awesome. So from my experience, it's tough to, you don't typically, you're not going to get points on the cash advance, stuff like that when you do the zero interest. Um, okay, fine. And with a lot of the zero interest cards, you're not going to get that. All right. Detour. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, what did the, those numbers look like maybe in the first six months for bookings and things like that? And, and what gave you the confidence that this is going to work? I'm, I'm putting in $65,000 in loan money. I mean, it's money you have to pay back. What gave you the confidence that, you know what, this is going to work? At that point, I was, let me, let me step back real quick and just tell you a quick background story about my son first, and then we'll, we'll get into why we did this, right? So okay. I was working a nine to five, pretty much salaried employee making as much as I could with that job. And then I bought into the whole, you got to grind thing. You need a side hustle. So I built a side hustle up, was making an extra two to three grand a month on the side doing photography on nights and weekends. But at that point I was completely tapped out. Like there were no hours left, right? I was working, call it eight to six and then coming home, editing photos till 2am. And then I was gone all weekend photographing new properties. And I was, it was working. I was making money but I wasn't seeing my wife. I wasn't seeing my son. And um, one day we woke up and he had a rare condition called interstitial lung disease. So basically when he was sleeping, he needed to be on oxygen. And one day we were driving in the car and he passed out. We didn't have oxygen with us and we couldn't wake him up. And so now I'm flying down the highway going about 110 in my Jeep, trying to meet an ambulance halfway to Boston Children's Hospital, not able to wake him up. And then finally the ambulance got there. They were able to revive him and we followed them along into the hospital. And I just remember sitting in the hospital. We were there for probably three weeks at that point. And all of a sudden the thought came, okay, I'm making good money. I want to focus on my son right now, but if I don't go back to work, the money is stopping right now. And these medical expenses are piling up fast. And 
I remember saying to myself, like, how crummy is that, that I'm worried about money instead of 100% focusing on my son? And I, at that point, I was like, I'm going to find a way to make money without trading my time come hell or high water when I get out of here. Like when, when I was confident that we were going to get through the whole situation with my son. But from that point, it was like the epiphany that like money doesn't mean anything if you don't have your time. It just click for me. I was like, I, I had heard it before and it sounded cliche. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. But it, in that moment, I would have given every piece of asset that I owned just to spend time with my son. You know what I mean? And just to make sure that he pulled through that. So that was kind of the catalyst that got me looking into real estate and trying to figure out, okay, how can I, how can I make passive income without trading my time for money? So when we, when we moved forward with this chalet, it was kind of twofold. It was a celebration of him outgrowing this disease that he had and no longer needing to be on oxygen. And then two, it was, to Neil's point, running numbers and being confident that this would work based on these numbers right? I'm a CPA by trade. So I, I'm, I'm running numbers left and right. And just looking at it, I'm like, I know this is going to work. Just, I just had a feeling that it was going to work. And so for the first two months or so, I grossly undercharged what I do now because I wanted to get as many people through there as possible to get as many reviews as possible to hit super hosts as fast as possible. So for those of you that aren't familiar with this business, particularly say on Airbnb or quite frankly, any platform, if you're looking at properties and they all look fairly the same, but one person has a hundred five-star reviews and one has five five-star reviews, you're most likely going to book with the person with more reviews, right? It's a, it's a review-based business. So I knew that and I, I wanted to get as many people through there as possible. And then I got that little logo, you know, Superhost after about six weeks, just because we pumped so many people through there. And by keeping our rates low, I was able to cover my costs, at least break even those, that first month or two. And then it was off to the races. And since then, we've netted anywhere from about 1200 to 1500 a month after all expenses on that one property. So awesome. doing the math out, it's roughly between a 20 and 30% cash on cash return every year so far. So, Well, one, thank you for sharing that story about your son. But, you know, it... It, um, it, it hits home. It, it hits home. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, is he, so he has grown out of that? Yes, we, uh, we were very fortunate. It it took about 18 months, doctors not really being able to give us a clear answer on what was going on. And they put the poor guy through endless tests. And finally, I said, all right, we're, we're done testing. Like, I know he's going to outgrow this. And I don't know if you're familiar with the book, Think and Grow Rich. But the, the first story they talk about in that book is the author's son was born without ears. And doctors said that he was never going to be able to hear. And every day, he just instilled the belief in his son that he was going to be able to hear one day. And I held on to that story for dear life, you know, for that 18 month window that was pretty scary. And I didn't know how he was going to outgrow it. But uh, all of a sudden, one night, we put him down, put his oxygen monitor on, I flipped it on, and he was perfect and did not need oxygen after that day again. And it was literally a miracle. But it was just following that, that story to the T of just instilling that belief in a little bit my son, but I mean, he was young, but more so my wife, my family, everybody else, like we don't need negativity. We need positivity. He's going to outgrow this. He's going to be fine, period. And uh, it was, it was pretty incredible. So that's amazing. So, you know, with traditional rentals, long-term rentals, you know, there's a lot of rules of thumb in regards to expenses and percentages of 1% rule, the 2% rule, 50% rule. What kinds of rules of, is there any kind of rules of thumb that you go into with a property that makes you say, you know what, this is going to work? Yeah, I, I looked, 
I leaned on them a little bit more in the beginning. Now I've, I've built my own spreadsheet where I can analyze a deal in like three minutes. But some rules of thumb that I heard from the beginning were if you if the rent on the property was say fifteen hundred a month, then it should bring in about three grand a month in revenue for it to be profitable for you. That was that was kind of the general rule of thumb. Like you should be able to double your gross revenue, and then after the additional expenses of utilities and linens and cleanings and everything else, you should be able to generate anywhere from you know, 500 to a thousand bucks on that type of a property. That formula works, but just like any rule of thumb, you really got to get into the numbers. So that that's generally a baseline that I tell folks, but then I say, you know, you really got to factor in. What I like to do is I'll take all the expenses, right? So between the mortgage and I have three different models that we can talk about to help listeners get get started. But just say that you're going to purchase a property. You're going to have your mortgage, your insurance, all your different utilities, homeowners slash commercial liability policy. You're going to have heat supplies every month. You know, for a two bedroom, I budget about 120 bucks a month. All the different expenses, right? I go through, I add all those expenses in and then I add in a profit. I'm like, okay, well, how much do I actually want to make on this thing for for doing the work, right? And typically it's anywhere from a thousand to 1500 you take that total divided by 30 days and that's your average daily rate. Okay. Where does that compare to in the market right now? Like, is it feasible if I need 250 a night, are my competitors getting anywhere near that? And what is the occupancy rate that I could expect to get? Right. So that's just general rule of thumb. Like, all right, start with the expenses first. What is it? My break even, what do I need to rent it for, for how often, and then tack on the profit. Right. So that's kind of like my high level overview of like, rules of thumb. But again, just like any, any niche, they're good for a quick look, but you really got to do your homework and, and know what you're looking at. Yeah. And then are you factoring in uh, an expected occupancy rate? You know, I mean, you, you sort of saying, all right, I think we're going to be 50, you know, we'll, we'll be at least 50% occupied. Yes. So there is a great site and folks that are interested, you're going to want to write this down. Uh, it's a website called airdna.co. And what that website does is it pulls all the data behind Airbnb and HomeAway. And it basically pulls all the the revenue numbers, the occupancy numbers, all the properties that are listed on those platforms. And you can use that website. You can plug in an address, say, okay, it's 100 Main Street in Smileyville, Maryland, (laughs) whatever, right? And it's a two bed, two bath that could sleep six people. And it'll spit out a number. It'll say, okay, here's the top five or 10 comparative properties. And here's what they did last year. Here's their average daily rate. Here's their total revenue and here's their occupancy. So it, it gives you actual data from Airbnb and HomeWay from the previous year. So that I find is a pretty good benchmark. Sometimes it can look a little skewed. I know for us the first year, we overshot their numbers by like 10,000. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, it. I, I always like to play conservative, right? I'd rather overshoot it than undershoot it. So but that, that's the best data points that I could come across at this point in the game because it's still a p- pretty early niche market. So, Gotcha. But, you know, one of the issues that, that a lot of short-term rental people are running across right now is the regulatory landscape. Here in Las Vegas, it's almost impossible to do short-term rentals anymore. They, keep change, they change the rules almost once a year. You know, it's allowed in, it's sort of allowed in one city, but the county doesn't allow it. And then you've got constant 
you got to always watch out for an HOA that may have its own rules. And so did you, is there any way that you are able to sort of research and, and find out, you know, when you're looking at a particular property, whether or not it's going to be even allowed? Yeah, for sure. And what I tell my students and folks that are asking for advice is I avoid any major, any major metro, right? So I'm just outside of Boston. I do not have properties in Boston. I would not do anything in New York City. I would not do anything in Miami, San Francisco, any major metro, especially those metros that have ridiculously high rents or an affordable, a lack of affordable housing, there will be regulation heavily in those markets. Mm -hmm. Just my prediction, because they look at us as taking inventory off the street and they need that inventory for people that are going to live there permanently. So what I like to do is I go 30 minutes to an hour outside of those cities if I want to be near that metro. And I find a place that is within walking distance to a train that could take me into Boston within a half an hour, right? So that's, that's kind of my approach. And then what you want to do is Google, our friend Google, just Google short-term rental ordinance, insert your city name. And the best way to do it is to just find your local city or town's website and search for short-term rental on that website and see if anything pops up. And then if you're still not sure and you really want to be super, super cautious, just call up the town, right? You can talk to the zoning board or the city planner or something like any, any one of those, you know, if you're really worried and I would just call them. But what I found is I'm seeing the most, most common restrictions I'm seeing are owner occupied. So I have about four rentals and I'll talk through that strategy in a bit outside of Boston where they are in multifamily buildings, two families and three families. So the owner lives in one unit and then we rent out the other one or two units. So that's, that's one way that I would say that's probably the least risky. And then I also find like where my chalet is, that's just a vacation town. Like they're not changing the rules. I mean, their whole economy is tourism. So that's not going anywhere. Yeah. You do always want to be careful of HOAs, right? So I am in an HOA, but I am on the board of the HOA. So you want to make sure that you, wherever you are, that you at least have a voice and you know the direction of where they stand. Because there are some folks in my community that are quote unquote old timers that have been there before this whole B&B boom and they, they quite frankly hate what I'm doing. But it is what it is, right? So the beauty of this strategy though that I love is I get a vacation home that I get to use. We go up at least once a month and it still pays us every month. So whether you want to do it from a pure real estate investing strategy, increase your cash flow on a on a multifamily or you just want to get a vacation house that will pay you every month, the strategy works all around, which is great. So, yeah. The vacation area strategy works really well for everywhere else except for Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> we have all the hotels though. Yeah. So, when you started out, how did you go about getting yourself educated? You mentioned a mastermind that you were involved with. Was it a, a specific short-term rental mastermind? No, it's it's an offshoot. It's called M1. So it's an offshoot of GoBundance, if you've heard of that on like some of the other podcasts. So it's a pretty cool mastermind. We, we focus on becoming whole life millionaires where obviously you have your financial pillar, but then you've got your family and relationships, your health, your contribution, all those different things, right? Because if you have one without the others, it, it doesn't really matter, quite frankly as my story alluded to earlier. So from that mastermind, I, I met someone that was in the short-term rental space and uh, he had a program that I went through and then 
he was using a bit of a different strategy than I use. So I kind of took some pieces and then I went on and did some research. I'm like, all right, well, who else has programs? And I took literally like five or six different programs because I'm like, I just, I want to soak it all in and then just blend it all together and figure out what works for me. So like I say, I, anytime I get into a new business or new investment strategy, I just try and get as educated as possible. You can Google it. There's books, there's YouTube, there's courses, whatever your budget is and whatever your commitment level is, like however serious you are, I highly, highly recommend just get educated because it's going to save you in the long run for sure. How long did it take before, you know, you made that decision and then you got yourself educated. How long did you spend doing that? Uh, about five months before we closed. So I, it was either July or August, and then we closed in January. So about five or six months where I was just absorbing, 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 absorbing. And then it was finally like, okay, time to move or get off the pot, mm-hmm. as they say. So yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, you have a figure for what you think you spent on, on education there before you moved? You said you had four or five uh, courses? I would say probably five grand. Ish. Okay, so you didn't go for the giant, you know, you were no, no, there was no fifty thousand dollar mastermind or anything like that. That gotcha. doesn't exist gotcha. yet. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, yeah, gotcha. Not for this space. Gotcha. No. Before we move on, I want to get this out there before we go too much further. If people want to contact you, what what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, for sure. So on Instagram, I am at the Airbnb guy. On Facebook, I'm at Michael Shogren01, and I have a free class that I offer up. So I do have a training program, full disclosure, it's a full on training program for folks that want to get into this, but I have a free 60 minute course that I go through my three secrets, basically the systems that you're going to need if you want to automate this business. And I show you the exact tools that I use. So you can go to strsecrets.com and that's just a free class you can sign up for. Okay. Awesome. That first, the first property you bought, you bought as a traditional buy and hold property. I mean, you, you, you bought it with the, the idea of putting it as short-term rental, but it, you bought it with much more traditional financing, things like that. And you've mentioned that you have a couple of other strategies that you use to acquire properties now. Can you kind of go through those? Yeah, for sure. So once, once we get that first one up and running, I was like, this is amazing. It was doing just like he told me, you know, pumping out about a thousand bucks a month, which is amazing, but I personally can't live off of a thousand dollars a month. So I was still a ways away and it, if we do the math, right, it'd take me about 65 months to come up with another down payment. So I'm like, okay, how do I expand? And so a lot of folks will use a leasing model, right? Lease arbitrage where they'll go out and they'll rent a property from a landlord, they'll furnish it, and then they'll put it on Airbnb or HomeAway and, and make money that way, which you can totally do, right? I would always just encourage folks, if you're going to do that model, just be transparent with the landlord. Don't do anything shady, right? I'm, I always tell folks, you know, operate with integrity. Otherwise, you're not going to be operating for very long. So that strategy works great, but I didn't have another 10 grand to furnish another property plus say another three to four grand for first, last and security deposit. So I didn't have 15 grand to to get another one going. So I said, all right, well, what if I found landlords that had vacancies and I showed them this business model, showed them the data from AirDNA and I said, hey, uh, Mr. Landlord, your property rents out for say two grand a month as a 12 month lease if you furnish it and I manage it for you, what if I can make you 2,500 a month and you don't have to do anything else? And so came this idea of becoming or building out a short-term rental, call it management or co-hosting business. And that's Mm -hmm. how I started to grow very, very quickly from one unit to six units. And now we've got a bunch more in the works that are starting to snowball. So that has worked out very well for us. And it's a win-win all around because like I mentioned, I can... I never guarantee anything. And I just say, listen, here's the numbers. Here's what I've been able to do. 
here's the the data from last year from Airbnb and Homeway from your address. This is what they're confident that that it could bring in. So if you invested, you know, eight to ten thousand to furnish this, this is what you could expect to earn. So you'd get your investment back within, call it fifteen to eighteen months, and then you've just increased your revenue by twenty five percent forever if you continue with this model. So I did a lot of outreach, networked with a lot of folks, started a local meetup, started putting out a lot of content on social media, heard a lot of no's and folks were, were scared, right? They're like, well, I don't, I want to know who's in my property. And um, that's one of the things I cover on my course because there's a system that I have now that I, I get over that hump and I show them how we keep our eyes on the property. But after a while, you know, I got a couple of folks who were like, hmm, that, that sounds interesting. You know, I, I want to learn more. So after a while, like I said, I, I just kept calling and putting out content and just peaking interest. And mm-hmm. then now, you know, it's much easier now, obviously, because I have more and more case studies and multiple properties that I can show data from in three different markets. And I'm like, okay, like whatever your market is, we can work with it. So that's how we got rolling. So it's basically more of a management company model. But the beauty is with a typical management company, you're charging 10% for a small multifamily and maybe you make you know, 100 or 200 bucks a month, it's, it's takes a lot of properties to, to add up for that. You know what I mean? So in this model, we charge anywhere from, you know, 15 to 25%, depending on how hands-on the owner is or how hands-off the owner is, I should say. So if we come in and we build out the entire unit, we take care of all the restockings, the cleanings, the bookings, the communication, everything, we charge 25%. If the owners manage their own supplies and, and take a, some of that load off of us, you know, we'll do anywhere from 15 to 20%, depending on the size of the deal. And what we've found is in the slow seasons, we'll average about four to 500 per property. And then in the high seasons, we'll average anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 per property. To, to you? To me. Just to you. So just your, your percentage of that is, is uh, cash flowing for minimum 400 a month. Yes. That's great. And it's a win for the owners too, because their rent might go from 2,000 to 3,000, right? in some of those yeah. higher months or 3,000 to 4,000. So, yeah. Has that been how you've expanded? You've only, you're only owning the one, the one chalet yourself. Is that correct? Yes. And right and then, now we're working on uh, one of the owners that I currently work with. We're partnering on a, a larger resort style community that we're currently in the, the prelim stages of the LOI with the owner on. So that will snowball fast as you show owners that you get results. They're like, all right, here's more money. Go find me more deals, right? Just like yeah. in any business. And what uh, is that? A uh, that's a multi? Is it a multifamily or just a larger, a larger luxury, more of like a luxury property? It's pretty much a resort. It's a large wow. like community. Okay, wow. So you're, you're going all in. <laughs> yes. so you're you're yeah. buying that entire resort or yes. looking to? Gotcha. Cool. Yes. Awesome. What does a a day in the life look like for you as this like? vacation rental manager. (laughs) So the, the beauty with this business is there's a lot of tools you can use. So a lot of folks don't believe me, but I literally manage this business in less than two hours a week. I I still have a full-time job. Most people don't even know that I still work. I don't have to, which is nice, but I do because the longer I do that, the more I can double down on this business. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this business can operate in about two hours a week. So there's one of the things I talk about in the training, there's systems that you need in any business, right? Otherwise, you're going to always be trading your time for money. So I use, uh, I have a system for pricing. I have a system for guest communications. 
I have a system for access, right? So I don't use physical keys. I have Wi-Fi locks that automatically generate codes for guests and automatically expire. And I, I don't have to deal with any of that. I have a system for, for turnovers. So my cleaners automatically get notified. They know to check in through this app that I use and um, they'll send photos through the app. They'll let me know when they get there, when they check out, they'll just go in and accept the booking. So I don't have to follow up with them. Mm -hmm. So everything is pretty much automated. The only piece that I still do is one, look for more deals. And then two is just answer guests one-off questions as they come in. Most of my messages, 95% are automated, but if they throw an oddball question out there, I do answer that, but I am in the process of training a virtual assistant to kind of document all of those one-off questions so that we're building a repository. So over time, I'll be less and less involved in this in the day-to-day per se. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So you're going to have to, I know what, I know what one of the systems is, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to yes. dish here. I, I was building, I was building suspense. Yes, I know. <laughs> but I know, I know, but I can hear my guests right now going, what are they? Yeah. <laughs> We ourselves yeah. just started using Turnover B&B, which, which I'm assuming is probably what you're using. Yes, yes. magical. Oh, my oh God. It, a couple notifications. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it took so much stress off of us. And like the cleaners actually are way more efficient than even the ones that we were using before. Who like the original one that I used, I loved. She was like a friend of a friend or like the cleaner of a friend. And she became my friend because I was like at home with my tiny baby and we would talk and I loved her. But you know, she started subcontracting out and it just never, like, it was never perfect. And now like, it's like two girls and they're in and out of there and it's like shiny. It's amazing. Yeah, they literally, they literally, it takes them probably, there's two of them and it probably takes them 20 minutes to clean it. We get the notification when they start, (laughs) it's only 300 square feet. So they they start and 20 minutes later, they send us pictures of it, of it being done. Wow. Uh, And so... And it's the, it's and they charge small. us, it's very small <laughs> and they charge us the same, basically the same that we were charging, you know, we were getting from the other cleaners as well. So yeah. uh, the only difference is we may start having them do laundry. Cause that's honestly our biggest, the biggest challenge that we run into is that, is that we have to do, we still have to do the laundry. Especially if we're gone. Oh, they'll do it. On vacation. They'll do it. Yeah. My clean, all um, my cleaners do the laundry. So that's yeah. another tip for, for folks. If you're looking at property, I will not get a property if it does not have a washer and dryer in it. I just won't because it makes it's too much of a pain in the butt. Unless I get, or should I say, when I get the resort, that's different because you have economies of scales to have linen service or something like that. So it's a little different. But if you have one or two properties, it's not cost effective to have a linen service. It's much easier to just have your cleaners wash it while they're there. Yeah. 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 Well, the issue that we have with that, with our small unit, is there is no. There's not washer and dryer out there. It's in our main house. Well, they have to come into the house. Yeah, anyway, they have to come in the house. But the problem is they can't, if they sit here and do the laundry. Yeah, it'll it take too much time. Take much we'll figure time. it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> anyway, so, all right. So we got turnover B&B out of the way. What are, and I know what the other ones are as well. But <laughs> why don't you tell us for us? Yeah, so for pricing software, there's, there's a bunch out there, quite frankly. The one that I use is called Price Labs. There's... Wheelhouse, Price Labs, uh, some, a bunch of them. But basically the whole premise is, is if any one human being tried to pull in all of the local calendars of, hey, this event's happening over here on this day, and oh, there's a food truck festival and occupancy rates in the area are this for this, like you couldn't possibly process all that information. So the whole idea of using these softwares is to maximize your revenue and maximize your occupancy. And you can use different strategies, whether you'd rather have it be completely full 
or if you'd rather, you know, be okay with having a few days empty, but you want really want a premium for your property. So you can kind of set the strategy that way. So that takes a ton of time off of my plate. And then I still, on Monday mornings, I still review my occupancy for the month for each property. And I'll go in and manually tweak it mm-hmm. just because that's any revenue generating activity is worth my time. I'll just put it yeah. that way. So the pricing is definitely something that deserves attention. Yeah. And that's more robust than like the, because Airbnb has a native sort of pricing. Do it. Okay. If you think of what is Airbnb's motivation? Yeah. They, as hosts, they charge us 3% and they charge the guests and anywhere from 10 to 12. Yeah. So if they want to get as many bookings as possible, so they want your price to be as low as possible, right? So for them, I found that Price Labs might say that my property should be 180 and Airbnb is telling me 120. Okay. Wow. So you're, you're leaving a lot of money on the table if you use smart pricing. Awesome. Gotcha. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, no, no. That was a good question because I know I had that question. I'm like, oh, well, why do I need to pay for that? Airbnb has one, and they're like, yeah, don't use that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then what is uh, what does Price Labs cost? Do you do you recall? It's based on like a, a waterfall. So I think the first property is like 20 bucks, and then it kind of goes down over time based on the number of properties you have. So it's all tiered. All right. Access. Access. Uh, I use. Access? I, I use August locks. So you can get those on Amazon. You can get them at Best Buy. They're fantastic. In the, that video I was talking about in that mini course or whatever, I show you kind of screenshots of like how I use that because it'll show you, it'll automatically set up everybody's access. Then I can monitor who's in and out of the property. I can monitor the activity. Somebody left the door open one time and I could tell from, you know, three hours away, right? Like Boston, I'm three hours away from my property in New Hampshire and I'm, pretty soon I'll be getting one in Florida too. So I need to have eyes on that property all the time. And this is just one of the tools that I use. And then the biggest, biggest time saver will be uh, smart BNB. So what smart BNB is, is it is a messaging tool along with some amazing data behind it. Like I, I create all my owner reports through smart BNB because I can create custom metric dashboards and everything else per property, but you can customize and make So as an example, right, somebody books your property, you want to send out a confirmation note. So you can put in these codes. I use the same template, but it pulls like, oh, this is 100 Main Street. This is blah, blah, blah. And it'll send it out for each guest as soon as they confirm. Then I want to make sure that they know the address, the parking instructions, the house manual, everything. That'll go out automatically three days before they get there. Then I send the checkout instructions. Then it automatically follows up for reviews if they haven't left me a review. It uses artificial intelligence, which is amazing. So I can, I can set it up so it'll detect, oh, this is a question about the swimming pool. Oh, you have a question about the pool. Here's all the information about the pool from the house manual. And I'll send them information about like the pool. So it, that will cut down, especially as you scale, the messaging will kill you if you don't have a system. Like I think when I had, whatever it was, a couple months ago, I was looking at the analytics and it was like, there's over, there's between like two and 3000 messages that I get per month just on my, at the time it was like four or five properties. So like you get hammered with messaging if, if you don't have the right systems in place. Are those messages, are they going through the app or is there some email? It'll do both. So Smart BNB, they don't have an app, they have a website, but it's sending the message through Airbnb's platform. Okay, okay. yeah. Because I find that like, 
I assume the Airbnb, I think they send out an email to people, but like 90% of the time people are like, how do we get in? And I'm like, you should have all of this information somewhere. Why? (laughs) So this would probably make it a lot more efficient because we end up having to, you know, we only have the one property, so it's not as big of a deal, but we have a, a save message that we probably send to every other customer, I think. Yeah. Yeah when they just go, now, how do we get into the unit? And yeah. it's like, you know, and I, we have, we have self check-in set up on Airbnb. We have check-in instructions in there and people just don't see it. Yeah. And what I find is people don't like to read quite frankly. However, I'll send the PDF version of the house manual. So I have like photos of everything with arrows, like park here, walk over here. Right. Like literally spell it out. Like it sounds silly, but I'm telling you, I got tired of answering these questions. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to make this. So like a two-year-old could follow it, especially, you know, for everything from, Oh, where's the, where's the, uh, the pullout couch. I don't know. Probably the couch that's in the living room is probably the pullout. If if there's a pullout couch, you know what I mean? Just like silly questions like that. But like, you know, you really got to spell it out, especially I know I get quite a bit of foreign travelers. So for them, you know, I just had one two weeks ago from China. She can't really, she called me and I'm trying to walk her through it, but the, the language barrier was tough. So by having like a physical copy with photos, I can like point like here, right? Mm-hmm. So like spell it out in like in yeah. very, very clear detail. Yeah. And I do the same thing with my cleaning manual because as you add properties, you want to have a consistent look for your property. So I might have two, three, four, five cleaners for the same unit. I want it to look the same every time. So a lot of people have a checklist I have a manual that shows pictures of everything where I want everything to go and how I want it to look every single time to create that consistency. And on the access, I've heard you, you give a great tip that I've heard before on the locks, which is don't just rely on the Wi-Fi locks. They're magical, but don't like have a backup. Yes. And so the conversation I was just talking about was because Another tip that I learned the hard way is you can have all these fancy deadbolt locks, but if you still have an old school doorknob that you can lock from the inside, the deadbolt doesn't matter. So guests lock themselves out. So if you have a a deadbolt lock, change the doorknob so you can't lock it from the inside, right? You don't want a doorknob that locks on your exterior door. So yeah, I always have a a backup physical key in a lockbox hidden somewhere outside the property just in case you know, you lose power, you lose Wi-Fi, the batteries die on the locks, whatever. I don't want to have to drive three hours to go let somebody in. Or quite frankly, I don't want to drive 10 minutes to let somebody in if I can just hide a lockbox somewhere outside the property. And I only tell them where that is if there's an issue. Because again, I don't like dealing with physical keys. Just from a safety standpoint, if you get somebody in there and they go and make a duplicate of your key, somebody has access to your property forever. So I don't really like doing that. It's like my last resort. But I would definitely recommend doing it if you need to. That's no, a great tip, though. All right. So we covered pricing, access, turnover, communication. So are there any other team members or systems that you use to, to manage your day-to-day operations? I'm hiring. Like I mentioned, I've gone through a couple different virtual assistants for this business. A bookkeeper, unless you want to do it yourself. That's pretty much it. I mean, it, as you guys know, I mean, it, it's... It sounds like there's a lot of moving parts, but once you start doing it, it's really not, especially if you have the right systems in place. Like I said, the biggest to the access, communication, pricing, and cleanings. So I always tell folks, never, ever, ever, I don't, if you're listening to me and I give you any advice, 
do not clean your own properties <laughs> because it's, it's not worth your time. I can pay somebody, somebody that's looking to make some money. I'm more than happy to pay them a fair wage to do it. My time is best spent looking for more deals and tweaking pricing. If I'm going to save 60 bucks on cleaning a property that takes me an hour or two hours to clean, that is not a good use of my time, right? If you're trying to get to, to freedom, to financial freedom, you cannot be trading your time for 60 bucks. It's not possible. Well, and you can put that back on the guest with a cleaning fee or at least part exactly. of it. 100%. So there's, there's no reason not to, to have someone else do it. We Plus, learned that yeah. pretty quickly because yeah. again, well, I had an infant. <laughs> well, and, and we were able to do it early on. We were able to do it because it, literally out, it was literally out our front door. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we, the, one of the models of, of Airbnb is you can, you know, you can rent a whole house or you can rent just a room in a place. We are actually very, very lucky because that's essentially, we're able to offer a whole, a, technically a, an entire place. It's an entirely separate entrance. Half the time we never see them. We never interact with them unless they really want to. Most of them don't, you know, but it's, it's literally at our front door. And early on, you know, she was a stay at home mom and she was able to, to do it. But even that it gets, you'll have a last minute booking where you thought you were, you thought you didn't have a booking. And then all of a sudden that night somebody has booked and you haven't cleaned it. And, yes. you know, one of us would be, would have to rush home. She would be somewhere or I'd be at work and I'd have to, I'd have to rush home and clean it. So yes, I, I agree. If this is the one thing that an aspiring short-term rental person takes away from this entire thing is don't clean your own property. Yeah. That's actually a non-negotiable for me now too. When I'm hiring cleaners, property gets cleaned immediately after checkout. Yeah. I don't care if I have a booking that day or not, because I will get a last minute booking. Yeah. I will. Yeah. I'll drop the price till it fills. And uh, that was a pushback I got from some of my previous cleaners. And then I had to just let them go because I'm like, you're costing me money. Yeah. Yeah. We're the, we're the same way. What's nice is that with that turnover Airbnb, if the main cleaner can't do it for some reason, you have those like backup cleaners that can do it. So it makes it really easy. How much maintenance do these properties, I mean, you managing. So what does the maintenance look like on these properties? It depends on just like anything, right? It depends on the age of the property. So for the properties that I manage, I make it clear that I am not the handyman. So Mm -hmm. if a repair needs to be made, I will either use your guy or a girl, or I'll go hire somebody else. But I am not going and fixing plumbing and doing like, that is not what my role is. So the the properties that I own, I have a bench of contractors that I've just kind of networked with over the years. And I have different resources that I use to find new ones if I need them. But for my owners, they all have their own contractors that I use for their properties. So I typically recommend you need to have at least like a general handyman who has contacts that you're going to trust. But I do not do the physical labor. Again, I recommend if, if you're building it as a business, don't be the guy, you know, fixing the plumbing, right? Like I had a leaky Mm -hmm. tub last week. I'm like, okay, I'm going to charge it back to the owner. This is his property. I'm not the handyman. So I'll go find somebody, but they're paying for it. My only role is to generate revenue for them and operate a short-term rental business, not a handyman business. Well, and that's how I think normal, like if, if you are managing like an apartment, you know, well, not an apartment community, but like a, a long-term rental, a, a single family home, I'm sure that management companies probably do the same. Yeah. And you probably work that into your contracts. I assume you have contracts with these people. Yes, yes I do. Yeah. 
Well, and um, you know, one of the big complaints with single-family homes as a long-term rental is that your cash flow is so slim that the moment you have a, a turnover, most of that cash flow is gone. If the mm-hmm. if you know just from basic wear and tear, never mind a tenant you know who trashed the place. You know, you're making hundred, two hundred dollars a month over two years. You know, you're making your cash flow is twelve hundred, twenty-four hundred dollars during that a year during that period and somebody moves out, you know, you got a four or five grand turnover bill. So can you talk briefly, you know, about the differences, you know, one, you've got extra cash flow, but also the property's being cleaned once or twice a week at least. Yeah. So that's that's a, a huge misconception that my property's gonna get trashed, right? So I'll leave a hook in there that they can they can watch the rest of the training to show I'll go through my whole system. But the the reason why it doesn't, even aside from my system, right? is think of the last time you traveled anywhere, whether you stayed in an Airbnb or hotel, whatever, how often were you actually in the property? Mm-hmm. Like you were there probably from like 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. You went somewhere to go see something. You went there to see a city. You went there to go to a show, go skiing, do something. You're not there to camp out in a property for a week. That's just not why you're going there, right? And then on top of that, what Neil was getting to was, okay, then how many of your tenants actually hire a professional cleaning company to deep clean and sanitize your property ever? I've never heard of a tenant doing that, right? We have somebody in there, a team in there multiple times a week, right? They're not using your appliances. I find that maybe 20, probably 15% of the time, the guests actually use the stove. Like they, they wanna have it, but they, most of the time they don't even use it. They're really not using the dishwasher. They're really not using the washer and dryer. The only thing going through there is like my towels and my sheets. Like they're not using them. You know, maybe they're taking a longer shower than normal, but they're going to run out of hot water eventually, right? I got a hot water tank. So there's, there's a lot less wear and tear on the property. You know, I'll get little scuffs and stuff from kids running around, but I don't mind that. I mean, that's just easy touch up once a year, a little paint here and there, but it's nothing, nothing crazy. And I will say when you're launching a property, just don't put anything that you really care about in the property, like any personal artifacts that you'd be devastated if it broke because stuff breaks, right? Like I've had alarm clocks break. I've had little decor fall and break, like stuff is going to break. So if something, if you have a personal connection to some artifact, don't put it in the property, just don't. And then you won't have to worry about it. But you know, if somebody's going to pay me 500 bucks for a weekend and they break an alarm clock, I'll go to target and buy $20 worth of alarm clocks. It's it's not going to bother me. You know, I don't sweat the small stuff. And you've also got like the the extra backup with like Airbnb has some insurance that's part of it. And then also, generally speaking, most people want to continue to use Airbnb. And if you have a shitty like referral on there from an owner, then you're less likely to be able to to book other ones. So there's a lot of things in place there that really protect you that doesn't happen with a long-term rental because with long-term rentals, there's no way to know that you trashed some house previously. So, yeah. you know, there's there's really a lot of protections in place there on top of just the lack of wear and tear that you get because no one uses half of what's there. It's awesome. Exactly. Exactly. What are your thoughts? So, you know, you said you're doing a lot of, like you've got some multifamily homes where, or buildings where there's, you know, some units that are being rented short term. 
you know, you might, I don't know if you have any single family homes, but do you find there's a fear of like party houses or, you know, that's something that gets talked a lot about here in Vegas as part of why they sort of shut it down completely because you would have, you know, giant amount of like frat boys coming and hanging out in a, you know, seven bedroom mini mansion and then the neighbors are not happy. (laughs) Right. Yeah, for sure. And there's different ways. I mean, all of my properties, all of my properties have security cameras on the outside. Mm -hmm. So that is a non-negotiable because to that point, and they also have noise detection devices inside the property. So quiet hours in all of my properties are 10 PM to 8 AM. If at 10.01, they're making a bunch of noise, I get a text message immediately because I, my software, my sensors in the property are saying, Hey, their noise levels are exceeding a certain decibel level and I'll get a notification. So I'll know if something's up immediately. As far as the types of property that I look for, I will not do any more one bedrooms. So my sweet spot is like two to three bedrooms because again, it depends on who you want to target, right? Like I'm pretty clear on, on the profile ideal, you know, avatar that I'm targeting and that two to three bedroom is, is perfect for whether it's a traveling professional or whether it's a family or whether it's couples, like it can kind of cater, you know, I get some traveling nurses that are coming in, you know, if you're near a hospital, things like that. It's, it's a good size property that can justify a higher price point. Mm-hmm. If, if they're getting a two to three bedroom, they'd have to probably get three to four hotel rooms for the same equivalent sleeping space, right? A three bedroom, I could sleep 10 people, no problem, yeah. no problem just by configuring it a certain way. So if you need to sleep 10 people in a hotel room, you need at least two to three bedrooms if you keep it on on the hush in there, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So they're already expecting, they're splitting it two to three ways already and they're getting a lot more real estate for that price point. So I find the one bedrooms, they typically like to haggle on price and I'm just, I get tired of, I'm like, you either want it or you don't. Like you're getting a, you know, thousand square foot apartment versus a 300 square foot bed and shower. I don't know what, you know what I mean? But I find that they typically like to haggle more. So what's the, do you have a particular brand of uh, security camera out front that you like? And what's the noise detection? Yeah, I like, I like the ring cameras personally, because they have a subscription model that's very inexpensive. I think it's like, I don't know, 10 bucks for the year or something crazy. And they'll record video and keep it like in the cloud for I don't know, a month or two months or whatever, if you need to get access to the footage. And then for noise detection software, it's a company called NoiseAware. It's a very, very cool product. And I'm sure there'll be more iterations and I'll, I'm, I'm hearing some, some uh, rumblings about this new smoking detection device, which I'm definitely interested in because that's one of the hardest things to prove is whether or not they smoked inside. You can tell when you walk in because it'll stink, but yeah. to get yeah. physical evidence is very difficult. So with this device, I'm, I'm excited to learn more about it. That's awesome. Cool. So you manage properties that are not in the place where you live. How far out do you go? So the New Hampshire property is about three hours away and getting one in Florida, that'll be a four-hour flight away. So I mean, once you have the systems dialed in and you you know who you need on the team and how to build the team and, and the tools, you can literally do it anywhere. Yeah. Are most of your properties that you have right now that you manage in sort of near you? Two of them are in New Hampshire, which is three hours away. And then four of them are about 40 minutes away from my house. So it's a good test. I mean, the first one I got was in New Hampshire. So like it forced me to create systems because if something broke, I can't just go fix it right? Like it's too far away. Yeah. So once I, once I got the systems dialed in, 
Like we went to Florida for a little over a week, a couple of weeks ago. All my systems work fine. You know, I'm, I'm a four hour flight away and everything works fine. So. Yeah. Yeah. So you really could like, especially once you have those VAs sort of in place, you could go on a trip in another place in the world and, and have it run if there's a, you know, that's the only hard part about traveling to a different, very different time zone, extreme time zone is that, you know, you could miss some things that might be important, but if you've got those virtual assistants in place and that team in place, you know, I assume that you could really do that from anywhere. Yeah. I mean, once you have that, once I have that team in place, there's really not much need for me, quite frankly, other than yeah. just tweaking some pricing. So, and maybe find, you know, maybe have you again, you know, finding new deals. Yeah, exactly. That's not, that's not something you need to do while you're on vacation. So, uh, I guess, you know, we always ask uh, whether or not you could do this from anywhere in the world. But one of my new questions is do you think you could do this from a cruise ship on the other side of the world? So, if I did not have internet access, is what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, pretty much limited. I mean, you, you'd have some internet access. You might have it in port, but you know, you're going to be out of touch for you know, twelve hours at a time at least. Once I have my VA going, definitely. Yeah, for sure. But you're going to have to have you're going to you would need you still need some some human in the loop at some point. Like boots on the ground, probably. Yeah, yeah. But just like where... any just like any business, right? I yeah. mean, unless I can't think of any business at this point that doesn't rely on some form of human. But that's what. That's the epiphany that I had when I was building a side hustle versus building a business. If I stopped working in the side hustle, I wasn't making money. If I stopped working in the business, I should still make money. Yeah. Like that, that's freedom. So, yeah. Have you ever explored using a service like Guesty? Are you familiar with Guesty at all? Yeah. So S- Smart B&B is like Guesty and way less expensive. Yeah. So when you scale, right, like our revenue is in well into the six figures, Guesty takes 3% of that. Wow. I mean, I could three to five if you use their VAs. So, you know, I can pay a VA overseas, you know, a few hundred bucks a month to do the job that they're going to charge tens of thousands of dollars for. Gotcha. Right. So for me, it, at this point in my business, I'm, I'm not using them. I'm always open to change though, for sure. Yeah. So. I guess the only, the, the one thing that Guesty has that interests me is the 24 hour phone number, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, you know, a guest could call, you know, although, you know, most of the time, I mean, Airbnb has that as well. You know, they have a guest resolution line that they can call them. So, I, don't know, I mean, like, how often does that happen to where it's, you need to spend yeah, that amount of money? Ironically, I just had somebody lock themselves out a week ago and they called me at like midnight. But other than that, I don't think I've that was the first time that I've had somebody like they needed somebody like immediately because they wouldn't get into the property. I mean, worst case, I sleep in their car, but. Yeah. Obviously, that's yeah. not the best guest experience, but it was their own fault. They locked themselves out. So, yeah, we've had one incident where the guests just did not. We had just moved to Airbnb's self check in system, and we we were under the impression that it was they were getting an email on how to check in, and they did not. They just. I'm sure they got an email. But... Yeah, they just did not see any of it. And they, they, we were, I think, sound asleep. We didn't, they, and they didn't knock on the door, you know, and they ended up, they ended up staying in a hotel right down the road. And, you know, that was probably the worst, that's the, probably the, the worst moment we've had. And we ended up, you know, we paid for their hotel. It was like, yeah. you know, whatever. It was, all, it was technically our fault, but uh, you can usually make good. That's yeah. the, you know, and you're usually making enough money that it's not going to kill you to basically have the guests go away happy if they're reasonable. Yeah, you know? for sure. I mean, I've, if, I've had it a couple of times where for whatever reason, the cleaners didn't show up, 
and the system, it was before I got on turnover BNB. So I just, I send the guest a hundred bucks. I'm like, go get dinner on me. I'll have it done by the time you get back. Right. So, you know, you just got to do what you got to do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, do you have anything else that you feel like is important that we haven't covered? I think we've, we've covered quite a bit of ground today. Yeah. 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 I said, you know, if I put out, like Neil mentioned, I put out a ton of free stuff on Instagram and Facebook and I've got that free mini course that folks can take. So I try and just put out as much free stuff as I can. So, but we, we went through a lot today. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Like really, it was no problem. It was, we, I mean, I even, I learned a lot of things just from, it's nice to talk to someone else because you get into your little bubble and then, then you don't realize things. Yeah. Well, once again, if you want to reach out to Michael, strsecrets.com, the air at the Airbnb guy on Instagram, and then on Facebook, Michael Shogren. Michael Shogren 01. I'm probably going to change Michael. that to the to the Airbnb guy just to make yeah, it easier, but make it easier, that's but. what it is for now. All right. Again, Michael, thanks so much for your time. We look yeah. forward to meeting you in person someday. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Okay. That was Michael Shogren from strsecrets.com, also the Airbnb guy on Instagram. That was a fantastic interview. It was one of my favorites so far. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to him. I think part of the reason too and is that we really have similar families. Mm-hmm. After the interview with him, we even talked about this. We were talking about other people that might like to come on the podcast and other, you know, real estate people in our our circle. And, you know, he was like, Well, you know, let's look for people who who have families. And we're like, you know, we really haven't actually interviewed a ton that have a similar family structure as we do. And and that's okay. We found ways to, you know, make it relevant, relevant yeah. to, to the, the people who we think hope that are listening to our podcast, but it was really nice to like have someone that's actually in a very similar position in a lot of ways yeah. um, to us and have some of the same, like the same goals and the same reasons for those goals was, yep. it was just, um, it was fantastic. So. Did you come away with a key lesson learned? I think the systemization was probably the biggest one. We've been talking about doing some more short-term rentals for us, but it felt a little bit overwhelming, at least for me. I was kind of trying to figure out how can we do that, especially because we we cannot do that in Las Vegas because of current regulations. So, you know, we would we would need to do that possibly states away from us. And, you know, is that a possibility? And, and it sounds like, yes. And what's nice is that we can kind of learn from his experience and skip the part where we really need to have local listings to learn from possibly and, and go straight to the other state or, you know, farther outside of Las Vegas yeah. if we want to. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, again, it was, it was, I agree with systemization. Your time is valuable and, and so many people, what's the expression? They, they step over dollars to pick up pennies. Mm-hmm. So many people, you know, they want to save money by doing everything themselves. And, you know, you're, the best value of your time is not, and in this case, not cleaning yeah. a short-term rental. Yeah. Um, I mean, really the best value you're getting is your time. That's, that's yeah. what you're getting out of this, or at least that's what we feel like is, is the, the best value for you know, what most people are looking for, I guess, if you're just looking to make the most cash flow and you don't care about time, then, then maybe, but again, you can pay for it. You can have the guests pay for your cleaning mm-hmm. unless you're going to be really super, you know, you just want that extra 40, 50, 60 bucks. Yeah. I mean, why it yeah. just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, but well, and the systemization works 
in your favor in two ways. One, it makes things easier on you. Mm-hmm. And two, it makes it so that you can eventually hand that off to someone else yeah. and remove yourself from the process and become the key decision maker, not the key doer. doer. <laughs> the, the person. Yeah. You're not in the business. You're, you're, you're working work- on not in the business. Exactly. Is that the, yes, yeah. That's the yeah. Exactly. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And, and just, yeah, it was just a, it was a good takeaway because it, it really, I mean, we just got into sort of systematizing and automating some of these things ourselves. We talked about turnover Airbnb and that has been life-changing in the last, I think we've only been using it for maybe a month. Yeah. And it it took a little bit of time out of your day to like be here the first couple of times to train the, you know, we have two different cleaning people. You know, we have a main person that, that we feel like is the the best choice. And then we have a, a backup. And mm-hmm. so it took a couple of times to just make sure that they knew what they needed to do. And then, you know, obviously we're going to be making that same kind of manual and that kind of thing for, for them, but we've got a lot going on. So it just hasn't happened, but that it's, it's done, it's easy. And it's, it took a lot of stress off of us in a, a season that has a lot of stress in it. So, all right. So let's talk about, you know, our, our big pillars, knowledge, time, um, money and location independence. What, you know, how did he acquire his knowledge? He was in, uh, he was in a mastermind, a GoBundance mastermind, as I recall, and met a couple people who were doing this strategy in there or something like it. And then he said, he started just taking courses. He said he took four or five courses and spent about $5,000, $5,000, he thinks. Yeah. Yeah. He um, said $5,000 and, and uh, about six months. I think he said five, five months. Okay. Yeah. Five yeah. months, $5,000 yep. to, to get up to, to speed. And what's kind of nice is that now he's sort of done this legwork and, you know, perfected this model. And he has that, that course on his website strsecrets.com. strsecrets.com. There you yeah. go. But he has that course, which kind of could take out some of that time period for someone who wanted to yep. get into this. So I feel like, you know, on the scale of would this work for a family, it's pretty high up there on the yes mark. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. For, yeah. For, for a lot as, of. Especially as we, we have experienced it firsthand, what it mm-hmm. takes to run a short-term rental. There is a lot of moving parts. It can be a lot of work in the beginning, but it, again, it's just a matter of systematizing it. And once you have your systems up and running, it's not completely passive, but it really comes down to how well you are at systematizing things. Yeah, so. yeah. Only, I mean, he said <clears throat> he does less than two hours a week yeah. on, so I guess actually just let's move on to time. <laughs> yeah. So, well, money. No, let's talk about how much money it took him uh, to get started because it wasn't just that $5,000 because they bought that first property. He said he pulled out, took them about $65,000 to get up and running on that first property Yeah, um, that he acquired for, you know, they basically cost them about $200,000 to buy and renovate and then an additional $10,000 to furnish it. Yeah. Um, Cause that is, that is something you need to think about if you're going to do this first strategy that he did, which is buy it yourself, furnish it, and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But I think the main strategy that he's using is this the, manage- is the management hybrid side. Management so, yeah. So if you want to do that, you can really get away without having a ton of money invested besides, and we didn't ask him about this, but I assume that he pays for the noise detection 
Probably, video yeah. systems or I don't, you know, I, um, cause he said that he asks them if they want to, or he, he suggests that they pay for the furnishing, but I wonder if for those kinds of systems, if he puts those yeah. in, so that might be where you might spend money. And then also if you're going somewhere outside of that, you need to travel to then, you know, travel expenses and things to, um, meet with those owners. Yep. So there's probably some expenses, but you can really limit them with that model. So can we go back to time now? Yes, we can go back to time now. (laughs) All right. So yeah, so time, two, less than two hours a week, you know, probably some bigger chunks of time training people or setting up something. I would guess that there's some chunks of time where he's setting up a new property. Yes. Um, I would say that when he's probably setting up a new property, it's probably a lot more work than uh, than just two hours. It's probably, you know, even if you figure, you know, a, a weekend or mm-hmm. a week, I would, I would estimate at worst, you yeah. know, yeah. and then maybe a couple of weekends getting things really up and running smoothly and getting the, yeah. getting the locks installed, getting the cameras and the noise detection and, and then yeah. just learning, you know, learning how a, a an individual property, the individual idiosyncrasies of a property. Yeah. Yeah. What's nice though, is those, those systems, you know, the pricing system and and some of those things are going to take a lot of that extra leg work off the table. So, you know, you do have to have some flexibility to do those setups, but once that's kind of done, then you're, you're really looking at, and, and he's saying two hours a week and he has several properties. So mm-hmm. if you're doing this with only a couple of properties, it's it's probably going to be very minimal. I mean, really even like we manage most of the things on our own property. And I would say we spend maybe like 10 minutes a day max, yeah, like absolute max. Yeah. <laughs> and some days that doesn't happen. So it's like yeah. an hour or less. A yeah. Week. I spend maybe an hour a week looking at sort of events and things like that are coming, looking at our calendar and kind yeah. of adjusting our prices. But it like sounds that. like we could exactly. offload I'm, that I'm, on yeah, price exactly. labs. I'm, I'm so, to, um, you know, we're, we, we talk, um, one of the things we're going to try and do going forward is uh, tell people about how the ways that we are utilizing some of the advice of our guests in our own, in our life, own lives. And two things that I came away with, from Michael that I'm going to use one is price labs mm-hmm. and two is smart BNB. Yeah. Um, we had already, we had already been using turnover BNB before uh, we met Michael. So smart BNB is, is on my list of things to look into uh, and price labs as well. So. Awesome. And then location, we sort of talked extensively about this in the podcast. So mm-hmm. I don't think we need to like really hammer, hammer mm-hmm. at home, but basically once you have your system set up, you could really do this almost anywhere. Yeah. Um, as long as you've got sort of a VA and you've got that team of people boots on the ground so that, you know, the VA can say, I know which 24 hour plumber to call yeah. if there's an issue, yeah. et cetera. And then most things aren't likely to kill you. If something happens, there's usually a way to make it right. If something happens in that time where no one is available. So yeah. it's a really, I mean, it's, it could be a very good strategy for Yes. Someone that has a similar life to us. So yeah. if you're, you know, family like I, ours. I want to point out it's more of a cash flow strategy than a wealth building strategy. Yes, which he mentioned. Yep. I mean, he meant, or maybe Not it was afterwards. Exactly. Okay, it was afterwards. Yeah. So, you know, he he's looking at more like apartment syndication and, mm-hmm. and um, finding investors. We as well, so. so, yeah. So, again, like we have that sort of connection there. But 
you know, cash flow is still important. And I think, you know, again, we talked about this, I think after the interview that we're kind of in a, a stuck position because we don't have the time flexibility to really make the finding investors and apartment syndication piece be very lucrative. So we probably need to find something that would allow us to not have to work so much for what we're doing to, to give us yeah. some of that time flexibility to actually move forward. Okay. Awesome. Well, once again, that was Michael Shogren from strsecrets.com. It was so great talking yeah. to him. Thanks um, to him for coming on. Yep. And um, we will bring him back on maybe sometime. All right, let's hit the road. Bye. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.